All right, good evening, everybody. Let's turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4. Finish this book up. Couldn't get my printer to work, so I'm going to try and electronics here, see if I can make this work or not. As Paul concludes this letter to the Colossians, he's got another letter written to another church. They're both getting delivered at the same time. The second church um, is the Laodiceans. Now, we don't have that letter. I kind of wish we did. But my guess is, um, since there's a lot of similarities to all of these epistles, um, we've already got everything that is contained in the Laodicean letter in these other letters. So that's why. But Keep that in mind. The reason I bring that up is because he tells them at the end of this, now make sure that your letter gets read to Laodicea and make sure you read Laodicean's letter. Meaning, this is applicable to all of us today. This was meant to be not just for that church and their problems, but it's meant for the church as a whole. And for us, 2,000 plus years later, this is for us. And so, although the words are a little different, we don't call our bosses masters anymore. Maybe you do, but I don't. Um, well, I guess I do, because my boss is Jesus, so as far as this place goes, but um, that's what they mean. So the terminology is a little, you know, a little older for us, but it's still very applicable. Um, it's very relevant for our situation, and, and what seems to be in this world old-fashioned thinking about your boss or about being an employee or, or whatever, or how your boss looks at employees, it's not old-fashioned, it's biblical, and those things don't change. Uh, um, we, our, our dresses, our, our, our styles of clothes change, maybe our haircuts, uh, beards today, no beards tomorrow kind of thing. Those things change. But um, God's Word doesn't, and His advice to us and His wisdom to us never changes. It's always right on. So keep that in mind as we go through this. He says, to finish up where we were last week, we described wives, husbands, children, fathers, bond servants being the employees. He moves on to masters being the, the, uh, the employers, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So as an employer, you're to give what's just and fair. Um, he tells them that because it's actually the master's job to choose what's just and fair. And um, it's interesting, that probably wouldn't go over real well in a lot of employee, uh, in, in, in places of employment. Um, if the boss was to say, I think this is just and fair, a lot of folks would be up in arms saying, I don't think that's just and fair, when they look around to the right or to the left. We have a wonderful parable that Jesus gave us um, about that situation where you hire someone at the beginning of the day for one denarius, and you hire someone at the end of the day for a denarius. Both had to, both of them, <laughs> they had to make their wages and, 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 and decide what was going to be fair and equitable with the boss at the time of hire. Uh, but at the end of the day, we see that Jesus condemns those who say they didn't get what they thought they were supposed to get. He says, didn't we agree to a price at the beginning of the day? And just because they got paid more, isn't that my uh, right to be able to pay them more if I choose to? Because I want to get the job done. I, I see it wasn't getting done. I hired a couple more guys. Let's get this banged out. And I paid them more or the same wage, but less time. And so Jesus condemns that. And so um, he, he really wants us to have that. And so masters, as, as employees, make sure, employers, make sure you're fair and just with your employees. But as, as far as employees go, remember, you, you set it up at your, at your time of hire, at your, at your interviews. You decide. 
Um, this is what I'm going to get paid. There are no promises of anything in the future. And if you want there to be promises in the future, put that in writing. Make sure you have that in your, in your first... Don't just assume. Well, I've been here a year. I figured I'd get a raise by now. Well, no. No. That's not fair. That's not just. Well, we didn't even talk about that in your interview. You know, There's a cultural acceptance, I think. But remember, keep that in mind. When you go to your job and interview... Get it all out there. Now, after six months, is there any kind of room for growth? Where are my levels? Um, is, there, is there room to move in this company? Or is this a, an entry-level position that's going to always be my exit-level position as well? Get all that out there in the open. Um, because biblically, masters are required to give what's fair and just, and that's what you agree upon. Um, but you don't get to come back and complain about it later on. And so... Um, we need to keep that in mind. Um, I think this has a lot to do with some of the things that will be actually on August 7th's ballot um, uh, when you go to vote. So keep that in mind to look that stuff up. Um, it's, it's fair and equitable. So, masters, if you're an employer, make sure you're giving them what's fair and what's just. Don't try to jip them. Um, and he says this, here's why. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Your master in heaven doesn't jip you. He, he doesn't. He, he always provides for you, always takes care of you. My master, my, my father in heaven... Um, Jesus uh, always takes care of me, and you've got to make sure that you do the same um, for, for those under you. Um, that's important. Um, but just make sure it's clear. Um, so he, he gives them that very practical advice to these Colossians who are trying to figure out what it looks like to be a Christian. Um, what's it look like to be fair? Um, what masters do culturally in Colossae is not what Christians do in Colossae. And sometimes, and this is something to keep in mind, it's counterculture. It's going to be different. God tells you to do one thing. This is what's right. But that's not the norm for this industry. That's not how we do things. Certain things we talk about, certain things we don't. I'm a Christian in this industry. It's different for me. I am above board on everything. Um, well, yeah, but nobody does that. But I do. But I do. And that'll get you in trouble sometimes with the world. You know, that's a good group of folks to be in trouble with. Be in trouble with the world, but don't be in trouble with Jesus. That's, that's key. Um, so, uh, verse 2. Continue earnestly in prayer, uh, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Now, I'm going to stop there because he's going to ask for a prayer request, but um, he's going to ask them to pray for him specifically in a, in, in a certain area for Paul. Um, but more importantly, Paul wants to get this across to all of Col- Colossae and all of Laodicea, be vigilant in prayer. Vigilance, that's important. Um, vigilance isn't praying when you feel a need. Um, that's normal. That's, I feel pain, I need a solution. You know, that's aspirin, you know, kind of thing. Being vigilant is you're in constant communication with God. You're always praying. It doesn't cross your mind to not pray. It's just something that's automatic. You wake up in the morning boat and you first open your eyes, oh God, thank you, you know. Thank you for this day that you've made for me and, and that I get to, you know, it's just automatic, being vigilant in that prayer. And knowing that your prayers are answered. Um, it's, we, you know, we teach our kids to pray before they go to sleep. We teach them to pray before we eat. And, and sometimes those prayers can become repetitious. And I know that, you know, there's only so many different ways you can thank God for food, you know. Um, you can be specific, thank God for the potatoes, the meatloaf, and mash- thank you for the you know, thank you for the hands that blessed it, you know, and there's a comedian that says, don't thank the whole person, just their hands, you know, we have funny terminologies for that, 
We want to teach them to do that, but I want to be vigilant in prayer in thanksgiving for, for everything, knowing that they get, that's my, um, that's not my must do. Did you pray before you eat? Before you ate, you know? Did you do that? Well, no, I think I forgot. And we look at people like they're crazy because they didn't pray before. They, well, no, we pray before we eat because we're not so sure about the food. We're also thankful for the food at the same time. So we're thankful for the food that's before us, but we're not so sure who prepared it, what kind of diseases they might have had, so God bless his food so it doesn't kill me, that kind of thing. But you pray with a purpose. The purpose isn't because you're supposed to. The purpose is because you honestly are thankful for the food and because you're honestly not sure of its condition. Okay, Those are two reasons you pray. And I say that because we can get into the habit of, well, we've got to pray before we eat. Thank you, God, for the eats. You know, down my teeth, past my throat, whatever, you, you know, those funny things we come up with. Um, be vigilant in your prayers. God, thank you for this house. I don't want to take that for granted. Um, um, I'm not thanking you for it because that's all I could think of in my mind as I'm learning through all the things I'm supposed to be thankful for right now. So let's do the house, the kids, the wife. No, I'm really thankful for my house. Um, because it doesn't always have to be there. Payments might not get made. And I know that those payments come from my work, that comes from you. Go through it with vigilance in your prayers. And, uh, and watch yourselves. Um, we can become complacent in those things. Pray, 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 pray. And so Paul says, I want you to pray. Uh, i got a couple verses here. Acts 2.42. And they, the body of believers, all of them, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Those are the four key elements for your walk with the Lord. Um, you want to stay um, and continue steadfastly in teaching and in learning. You, you want to do that. You don't ever want to think you've got it all and, and stop learning or stop reading. You want to do that. In fellowship, don't, don't forsake the assembling of the, together of the brethren. This is a matter of some. You want to be in fellowship with one another, with other Christians. And, and that's an area, Satan attacks all these things. Well, yeah, but which church is right? I have my own kind of church out on my fishing boat. Great, fine. Throw your line in and open your Bible then and read. Don't forsake the doctrine. Don't forsake learning and, and, and reading about Jesus. Yeah, but my fellowship is with the fish. Okay, well, make sure you get them in the boat and you have some fellowship time with them. Shake their hand, share a cup of coffee. You're missing the point. God doesn't want us to be separate. He doesn't want a flock of sheep that has a, a space of 50 meters around each one of us. We're to be next to each other. We're supposed to rub elbows with each other and, and, and get close. Breaking of bread, we're supposed to eat together. A trough, you know? It's in a trough. Uh, it's, it's, it's okay to obviously eat by yourself. We have to do that, but don't forget to break bread with one another. And it's communion too. It does mean that. Um, but more importantly, the fellowship and the eating together, it's, a, it's becoming one with them. There's something about sharing a meal with somebody. It's different. You're, you're closer than you ever would have been if you didn't. I don't know what it is about food, but when you congregate around food, it's something we all love. We all, we all just need it and love it. And when we share it together and talk over it, you're closer. Um, it's important. And then finally, of all three of those things, and then the fourth is prayer. Make sure you're praying. Um, and so Paul says, I want you to be vigilant in your prayer. Acts 6, 3 through 4. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom they may appoint over this business that was serving tables. Find some deacons. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Is that important? We want to always be praying. Um, 
praying for the body of believers is, is, a, is, a, is a pastor's full-time job. Uh, you pray for everybody. Um, it doesn't matter how they feel about you or what kind of, how, how will you know them. It doesn't make any difference. You, you pray for every believer. Uh, everybody that God's put in your little section of the pasture, you pray for them that they do well. Um, you pray that they'd grow in the Lord, that they'd have wisdom, that they'd have the answers that they're seeking, whatever those might be. I don't need to know what they are, but God help them. And so you pray. And then you minister, obviously, God's word. Solomon had some good prayers, and these are the examples that God gives us of a good prayer. 1 Kings 3, 6-14. And Solomon said, You have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on the throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil for who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was a good prayer. It was a good prayer. He thanked God for the blessing of his father, uh, God's blessing of, uh, upon his father, um, including the fact that he got to be king. He knows that was a blessing to David. It wasn't necessarily my blessing. Thank you, God, for recognizing my greatness. You know, none of that. It was, God, I know you love my, David, my father David so much that you allowed him to have a son to sit on the throne. That's how he considered himself as king. And so knowing that great responsibility, he says, with all this thanksgiving, I know who I am. I need your understanding. I need your wisdom when I do these things. These are good prayers to pray um, every morning. Uh, you know, you may be an excellent, excellent, skilled, whatever it is at your job, but ask God for wisdom. Never fall back on um, your experience. I think it's just a, it's a, it's a, it's a bad habit to fall into that. God, I've done this before. I've done it a million times. I've done it a thousand times. So did every guy that fell off the crane. So did every guy that got stuck to the you know, power line. Um, they've all done it a thousand times um, until they didn't. You know, Never take that for granted. God, I'm here because you've given me this job. Give me wisdom in this job. Especially those folks that deal with customers or people, um, whether that's in counseling or whether that's in over-the-counter. God, give me wisdom. Um, it isn't about running the cash register. It isn't about knowing the processes and, and the fees or anything like that. It's about the people. Who am I looking at? Am I looking at another person um, and their heart and what they have gone through today and to have a, a, a connection with them? God, give me wisdom to judge these people and to help them with where they are, you know? Um, very important. Um, and so it says in verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord. You call it a speech. God, God says your, your prayer was a speech. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have you asked riches for yourself, nor have you asked life for your enemies, of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. And see, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any, any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches, honor, and so on. Um, a man like this, a person like this, a woman like this, anybody like this, can be trusted with those other things. As someone who understands who they are and that they need God and that they can't rest on, on their abilities or their expertise or their experience, 
they can be trusted with all that stuff. Um, someone who thinks more of themselves than they should can't be trusted. Um, and you've probably seen examples in the world of people like that that are very worldly. Um, and they've been given a lot of wealth or a lot of power. And you look at them and you say, man, I, mean, you know God, I know God sets people up and puts people down. I know that he does that, but wow, you know. Um, be careful of those comments that you may make to yourself, I could do this better than them, you know. Um, you, you may be able to, but um, not in every situation. Um, there become situations that you can't do it better than them and that you'd need God. And just always keep that in mind. God, if I ever get into that position, would be a good prayer. Boy, I know I'm going to need your wisdom. And what that does, when you pray like that, it gives you empathy, uh, mercy, for the person that's not doing it right above you. Um, it's not easy to do it right every time. And so that means you're not going to do it right every time. So keep that in mind when your bosses have the day, bad day, or a bad month, or a bad couple years. Um, it's not easy, you know. Um, and when you pray that way for yourself, pray that way for them then. They just become a part of your prayer list, not an enemy's list, not a hit list, <laughs> but a, a prayer list. Oh, God, you know. I'm not sure that was the right call. I can see that our company suffered greatly because of that choice, because of that decision. Don't take them out. Lift them up. Give them the wisdom that they may not be asking for because they need it from you and help them. You know. And although that may be counter, you know, you, you won't move up into that position. Maybe you're kind of, you know, and be careful. I don't, I don't want them to fail so that I get their position. Um, that's an Absalom kind of thing. David had a couple sons. Absalom was one of them. Absalom was hoping dad would fail, did see dad fail, and then wanted dad to fail so that he could take his place and press the people at the gate saying, if I was king, if I was king, I wouldn't have done that. That's not my kind of choice. I'm cautious of those things. Those, kinds of mouth, those come out of the mouth of a politician when those things come out of the mouth of anybody. It's like, that's an Absalom with 50 men going before him saying, here comes Absalom. You know? Solomon has the right prayer. My dad was great. Solomon knew dad's history with Bathsheba. Solomon knew about the baby. Solomon knew about all this stuff. He's not ignorant, but how he saw his dad was different. Absalom saw him as a problem. Uh, Solomon saw him as a great man who was loved by God, you know, and prayed for him. And then when he got that position, didn't say, it's about time you got rid of my dad. He's always been a disaster, you know. He doesn't say that. And so God's able to bless him. So when we pray, I know that's a lot on prayer, but when we pray, man, um, uh, you know, seek God's wisdom, ask for it, um, and, and, and recognize that you need it uh, a lot. Um, also, okay, so what does he ask for? What's his prayer? Um, pray for us. I want you to pray for us. Meanwhile, while you're having vigilance and while you're praying with thanksgiving, would you pray for us that God would open to us a door uh, for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. That's a funny way of putting it, though. That's New King James. King James even says it funnier. What it simply means is, help me to preach Jesus like I'm supposed to. I want it to come across like he wants it to come across. I want to do it right. That's what he's saying. So please pray that my words are correct and accurate and in love and everything that goes along with sharing the gospel. Please pray that for me. And I want there to be open doors. Paul never wasted his time. He, he did run into some closed doors, but he recognized those closed doors and moved away from them. 
I don't want to beat my head against a closed door. I want to follow the example of Paul here. I pray for open doors to share the word. I want open doors to share the word, to speak the mystery of Christ. And it was a mystery, but he knew the answer. He knew the solution. God had revealed it to him, and he wanted to share that mystery and unveil that mystery so everybody could understand it. Um, and I want that. Please send that to me. Give that to me. Um, I want to share God's word. That was his heart. A um, couple scriptures here. Paul shared the word. That's what he wanted to share. Um, it says in Acts 20, 26 and 27, therefore, he's speaking to the elders. Um, he's had a little uh, pastor's meeting, basically, on an island. And he says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. All of it. I've shared with you all of God's word. That was his mission. He, he wasn't trying to... Um, change people um, in the sense that let's focus on some of your faults and let's work on those faults together. He, he didn't do that. That might have been Barnabas's ministry, but what Paul knew and, and what I believe is God's word changes people. God's word affects people. God's word is what causes hearts to be turned towards him. God's word is what removes sin from our lives. God's word is what replaces that sin with his attributes. God's word does that. Teaching God's word is everything. Sharing God's word is everything as far as ministry goes. It's so important. It's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between the joint and the marrow. It divides the soul and the spirit. It does those things. We don't. We've got ideas and we've got methods but Paul says, if you pray for anything for me, pray for an open door to share God's word. Because he knew. That's how marriages get fixed. That's how abuse stops. That's how hunger gets taken care of. That's how hearts get changed from being greedy to being generous. That's how things get fixed, is God's word. And so that's my prayer. And hopefully that's your prayer too, is that we pray for open doors to share God's word. Not our opinion, necessarily. Um, ran across it as I was studying Colossians at the end of Chuck's commentary on Colossians chapter 4. He says, well, next week we're going to do Thessalonians 1 and 2. Moving right along here, pressing on. And then we'll get to the end of the book, the end of the Bible, and then we're going to start all over again. Uh, I remember back in, and he gave the date, 2000-something, we got through the Bible in two years. They taught through the whole Bible in two years. He says, I'm slowing down in my old age. I posted that on the, on the Facebook page for Calvary Chapel. I thought, isn't that amazing? You know, I think I'm going too fast sometimes going to a chapter a night or whatever. That ain't nothing compared to the speed. Now, he's talking about his services. He had, he had three services throughout the week. All the Sundays, that was the same service. But then he'd do a Wednesday and a Thursday night also. If you went to all three of those, you'd be through the Bible in, in two years. You know? I mean, he booked it. He went through fast because he knew something. He believed it. When God's Word says in His Word that Paul wrote by the Holy Spirit, I want open doors to share the Word, because that changes people. Paul knew that, or Chuck knew that. And Chuck would share that at the pastor's conferences. I remember the first one I went to, he shared that with us. He, I was a new guy. I didn't know anything about it. So he was chewing out all the old guys. He says, you guys got to get these people through the Bible. Get them through the Word. That's what changes people, not your opinions on the matter. Get them through the Word. You can know, see all these guys looking around who do like three verses every Sunday, and I'm like, man... I've always paid attention to that. Get them through the Word. You're like, get on with it. You're on verse 3. I'm getting there. I'm moving. 
Nehemiah 8.8. 8. And the people, we're going to get through the whole chapter, so, all right? Nehemiah 8.8. 8. And the people stood in their place, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, and they gave the sense uh, and helped them to understand the reading. That's what Paul did. That's what Nehemiah did. That's what they've done throughout history when it comes to God's word. We read it, and we kind of tell you a little bit about it, what it means, and then we go on, okay? Um, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. Here's why we do it. Therefore, when he, Jesus, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. The whole book is written about Jesus. That's why we get through the whole Bible. That's why we study verse by verse, chapter 5. Genesis to Revelation. Getting through God's Word gives us a greater understanding. Now, I, granted, two years through the, through the Word is going to be a, an overview, obviously. It's going to be a quick deal on Jesus, but that's what you need. And then dive deeper. If you want to take some time and go through Romans and spend a whole year in Romans, go for that on your own time or whatever. That's good to dig into it and let God speak. But the volume of the book is written of Him. So the Word of God changes people because the Word of God speaks of Christ. It is the volume of the book is written of me. And so when Paul says, I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God, you've got all the Jesus you need. He's able to say that. And I want to be able to say that too. All of us do, I think. 2 Timothy 3.16. Believe me, we're going to go a lot faster after this. It's just names after this and, and saying goodbye. So we've got to take some time here. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. And here's what all Scripture does. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God completes us and helps us to be equipped for every good work. Classes don't. Um, degrees don't. None of those things equip us. God's Word equips us and prepares us for every good work. So if you've got a Bible, you are equipped for every good work that's out there. Whatever God has for you, He's given you everything you need right here. It's all here. And then finally, 2 Peter 3.16. And they go together. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 2 Peter 3.16 are really good companions. Paul, Peter writes this, As also in all his epistles, he's speaking of Paul, As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist their own destruction, as they do also the rest of scriptures. Peter considered all of Paul's epistles scripture, equal to Genesis, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all the prophets, Psalms, Proverbs, all those things. Peter considered all of Paul's writings, all of these letters, equal to the scriptures. He considered them uh, on equal footing. So... Um, there. That's all my notes. Now we're really going to fly. Okay. So that's what Paul wanted. Please pray vigilantly with thanksgiving. And while you're praying, please pray for an open door that we might share God's word and speak the mysteries of Christ. That's why I'm in chains and that I might do it right. You know, I want to do it right. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time he's meaning outside of the faith. Pay attention to those folks that are watching you. Walk in wisdom. Now, he's not saying speak in wisdom. He, that's part of it, but he wants us to walk in wisdom. He wants our lives to reflect what a life in Christ looks like. It should look like this. Um, and most of us do really well at first. Uh, but as we're going to see as we go on through the rest of this chapter, a lot of them don't finish well. They don't finish the race. with. They're not walking well. Um, 
So Paul says, whatever you guys do, please keep walking in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time. You don't have that much time. It isn't that long of a time. It isn't that much to ask. Redeem the time. You may have five years left. You may have 50 years left. But compared to eternity, it's a blip. Walk thinking like that. He wants them thinking like heaven. Remember, you're going to go home soon. And there's a bunch of people outside the faith that need to know what it looks like to be with Christ and the advantage there is to be with Christ. Make sure that you're walking and expressing that in everything that you do. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Don't walk foolishly. It doesn't do me any good to win an argument with an unbeliever and show them that I'm right and they're wrong. Paul says this, and I don't exactly know how he, go to, how he went about it, um, but he says he convinced people. For me, convincing and arguing are synonymous, and they shouldn't be. <laughs> if I win the argument, I'm pretty sure I've convinced you, but I haven't. And that's where wisdom comes into play. I can walk in wisdom, meaning I'm going to walk my walk as, with Christ without causing people to stumble. That's really what he's talking about. But I want to redeem the time in such a way that when, verse 6, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer, uh, how you ought to answer each one. Um, I think that ought is probably a pretty important word. I can answer anybody, but how ought, how should it, how, with this situation, with this person, how should I answer them? I want to know that. I want my speech to be with grace, seasoned with salt, you know. And the idea behind that is seasoned. I don't want to be salty. I don't want to be salty to people to where they spit me out of their mouth, to where they can't stand what I'm saying, to where I'm an abrasive, you know, person. Um, my words about Jesus sounded more like a hammer than, a, than, a, than medicine, you know. Um, and that's where you need God's wisdom because I don't know, honestly, without Christ, I don't know how to talk to people any other way. It's, everything's a battle. Um, I want to be right, and I want them to know I'm right. And I want them to be on my side, but I could care less if they're on my side. I want them to know, you know, like a cop, kind of, like a police officer. Um, they've got a job. There's a law. There's right and wrong. really don't care how you feel about me pulling you over. You need to slow down, or you need to stop at that stop sign, or you need to whatever it is that you didn't do. I don't care how you feel about it. Sign the ticket. I'm not signing that ticket. Then you're going in cuffs with me right now. You're going to sign the ticket. I mean, it's just kind of that thing. And I have to be careful that I don't come across that way. Um, there are times for that, I'm sure. But for the most part, Paul says, I want your speech to be seasoned with, gra- or, uh, with grace and seasoned with salt. In other words, it's appealing. I don't have to change it. God's word is appealing. Don't misunderstand me. We don't have to doll it up. We don't have to add ketchup to the stew. I'm, not, I'm get, getting at that. But it ought to be flavorful and, and explode in their mouth. You know, poof, wow. That was the best meal I've ever had kind of thing. And so we want to have that. And that's for all of us. Not just for pastors, not just for Sunday school teachers. That's for all of us. Walking in a way that's worthy of having, being called a child of God, redeeming that time for the sake of those outside that are watching us. And then let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer, how you ought to answer each one. There's a lot of distorted views about Christianity out there. And we heard them, and you hear them, and you, it, 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 it's frustrating to hear people say, well, yeah, you're a Christian. And they, then, they, then they 
put you in with all those other people, you know, that didn't do it right, you know. And I can't do anything about that. I can't do anything about all the Christians that didn't walk like they were supposed to before me. And, and I also don't own that. Um, it's not mine to own. What I do own and what I am responsible for is how I walked or how I walk. And am I walking in such a way that makes those accusations a lie? That's the best way to defeat someone who's got this idea of Christians is when they look at you and they talk about you behind your back, whatever they may do, that the other person says, I don't see that. I don't ever hear him say that. Well, I know that that's what others do, but I've never seen J.D. do that. You know, That's what I'm responsible for. I can't fix history and I can't fix, I can't fix the guy sitting next to me. You know, That's being what I don't think is an appropriate Christian. Not walking in, in like Christ. My job is, whatever the distorted view may be of Christianity, um, that I make that look like a lie. So that's what a Christ Christian looks like. You know, I don't know what you ran into the past. I can't do anything about them, but I can tell you who Jesus is now. You know, um, I've had opportunities like that. And anyway, that's that's what we do. We walk that way seasoned with salt, always with grace. And grace is so important. Grace changes everything. Grace is the only thing. Grace is the difference between us and every other religion. It's grace. There's just unmerited favor with people who don't deserve the favor. And that's difficult to remember. I think mercy is easier for me. Grace is not so easy. Mercy? Okay. I can stay my hand. I won't do what I think they deserve that they've got coming. Grace, on the other hand, is giving them something that they don't deserve. Um, that's a tough one. That's something that can only come from the Spirit of Christ in us. That only comes from the first things that Paul's talked about in this letter. Understanding who Jesus was and is, what he did, what the cults say about him, nothing you do about that, just don't join him. But then what it looks like for me to walk with Christ, to be a Christian, um, redeeming the time, being in prayer, seasoned with salt, and full of God's grace. And that comes from knowing how much grace you've been given. Okay, um, So we have to have that. We have to walk that way with that grace. Now, he goes into the list, and then we'll close here. Tychicus. A beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this, for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So he's, gonna, he's my emissary, basically. So there's always people standing outside Paul's jail cell, it seems like, and always ready to do his running for him. Hey, I can't go, but you can do this for me. See how they're doing. That's his heart while in jail. How are they doing? Find out how they're doing. And let them know not to worry about me. This is what I do. I go to jail for Christ. You know, that's, what he said. that's basically what he said. I'm, I'm in prison for the Word of God. Uh, and that's what he does. So encourage them, but I want to know how they're doing. He's very concerned about how those folks are doing. There's something about hearing that people you knew in the past are still walking with the Lord and doing well. Um, they, they haven't fallen away from God, you know, no matter how many years it's been. Um, I get, you know, you get sad when you hear about churches that just kind of fizzle. Church plants that start and then just kind of don't. They're kind of gone. What happened? I don't know. It just kind of went away. Oh, 
There could have been a lot of reasons. It's nobody's fault necessarily. I mean, it might be, but you don't know. It just doesn't make you feel good. Say, oh, man, that's too bad. What a, what a drag. But what a great thing it is to hear that how's Colossi doing? They're doing great. I mean, they were a little iffy there for a little bit, but they got straightened out with those Jews that came in after you. But they, got, they understood your letter, and they got it, and they're doing great. Oh, brings me joy, you know. Um, does it bring you joy when you hear about other believers doing well? It, it should, obviously. But that's a question I have to ask myself. I don't know why it wouldn't cause you to be joyful when others are doing well, unless you feel like there's a competition. You know, um, I wish I was doing better than they are. No, I just want you to do well, and I want you to know that. So I'm sending Tychicus to you. They may comfort you. With Onesimus, I'm going to send him too. He's a faithful and beloved brother. Um, we see him with Philemon there uh, in the book there. Who is one of you? I'm going to send him back to you. They will make known to you all the things which happened here. It's going to, they're going to, these, these men are important. They're, they're there to help me, and I'm going to share them with you. Now, Aristocaris, my fellow prisoner greets you. He can't come and see you. He's in jail with me. He's on the other side of the gate or the other side of the bars. With Mark... The cousin of Barnabas. There he is. Remember that in Acts 13.5 when Barnabas and, and Paul got into such a heated dispute about going to the mission field. Go to the mission field again. Let's go check on those churches. Yeah, I'll go get Mark. Yeah, you can leave Mark at home. Mark's a crybaby. Mark left this last time he went through there. No, Mark's better. He'll be fine. He just need, he's just got a little... You know, I ain't taking him. You, we're going to take him. We're not Fine, I ain't going. And this is that kind of deal. These two mature brothers in the Lord. Forget it. Well, God throws us these little kind of golden nuggets here for us to see that, you know, it's all good. They got it worked out. I don't know what happened. We don't know what, how it all went down, but we know this. Mark's with me, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. For he, he comes to you, welcome him. Paul's on board with Mark now, or Mark's on board with Paul. One of the two, we don't know what happened, but he's a good brother. He made it. Um, that's, that's nice to hear. And Jesus who is called justice. <laughs> There's a lot of Jesuses back then. We had to keep that in mind. You know, every, every, I was going to say every Tom, Dick, and Harry was named Jesus, but that'd be wrong. Um, <laughs> but they were. There's a lot of guys named um, Yeshua or Joshua. Um, we got a Jesus in our, in our crowd here today, right, Josh? Call him Josh. Um, Yeshua. Um, the Jesus who is called Justice, he's, he's there too. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. So they're Jewish guys. Um, these guys are alongside of me, helping me. Now, Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. This guy prays for you guys all the time, this Epaphras. Um, he greets you. He says hi. So all these guys, as, as Paul's dictating this to whoever's handwriting it is, and he signs at the end here, we know that, but someone else is writing this down. They're all hollering out, hey, tell him I said hi. All right, Epaphras says hi. Boy, does he pray for you ever and throws these things in there. He doesn't do that for Demas. It says here, Demas greets you. And we're, we're going to get there in a minute and talk a little bit about Demas. But Demas greets you. There's not anything good to say about Demas right now. But Epaphras is known for laboring fervently in prayers for you guys. Not for himself, not for his own well-being, but for you guys. This guy prays for you guys all the time. I want to be known for that. You know, um, Not by everybody. I don't have to do it out in the square so everybody knows I'm a, a 
praying, but I want my wife to at least know it, or I want my kids to at least know it. Oh, he, always, he was always talking about you guys. He always loved you guys. He always wanted you to be complete in the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in um, Areopolis. Um, he prays for you guys all the time, that whole region. He's always got a zeal for you. And you do, don't you? You kind of have a zeal for a certain sector. I don't know what it is. I just have a heart for Canada. You know, I pray for Canada. Canada, really? Yeah, Canada. Well, someone has to have a heart for Canada, I guess. You know, but, but I don't necessarily, I don't pray for Canada. I don't think I've ever prayed for Canada. I've prayed for all the other countries, but Canada, well, they, they don't know. They're just Canada. But somebody has a heart for them, and somebody prays, and God actually shows somebody, I want you to go to Canada, and I want you to start a mission field or ministry up there. Really? Yeah. And they go. Man, bring your parka. I mean, it's not fun up there, but I'm glad you're, and they have a heart for it. What do you have a heart for? Pay attention to those things. Someone's like, well, Canada, no. No, I, I just mean there's something about each of us that God just places in our heart, and there's just a natural thing that's, you know, I'm just kind of drawn to that, and I don't know why. Guys, that's, your, that's what you're called to. It, it isn't more complicated than, well, how do I know God's calling me to this? I don't know. Do you think about it? Kind of a lot, yeah. Great. Then you're kind of thinking that way. It's, it's, uh, your heart's there. This guy has a zeal for this region. What group of people do you have a, a heart for? You just can't think of anybody else. There's a lot of needs everywhere. There's poor people everywhere. There's people without Christ everywhere. But for some reason, you think about them. Great. Then pray like Epaphras prayed for these guys fervently. Stay on your knees for them. That they might... Uh, be, stand perfect before God, complete in all the will of God. Pray for them. He also mentions Luke here, the beloved physician. Luke was the guy that would always patch Paul up and send him back out, you know, kind of thing. He walked with him, helped him with his eyes, it seems like. Um, as you read through the book of Acts, which is written by Paul, or like by Luke, excuse me, you'll see him um, go from first person to third person off and on. They're, they went over there, and then I, and then we. So sometimes he was with him, sometimes he wasn't, but he was a constant companion to Paul throughout his ministry. He was a real blessing to him. Um, it's interesting. You know, God, heal me. No, but I'll send you Luke. It's interesting how God will answer prayers sometimes. God, I want you to take away this eye problem. No, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to give you Luke instead. Because Luke needs this too. God doesn't answer our prayers always you know, like, like we think he should. Don't you want to see a miracle? Don't you want to see something wonderful happen? Yeah, I'd like to see Luke's heart get totally blown away by you and your ministry so that he writes a couple books. The gospel, pretty important, and the book of Acts, super important. It's like Luke 1 and 2. He wrote a sequel. He's the only, well, I guess Thessalonians and so on, but pretty good sequels. Demas greets you. Now, Demas is a funny guy. In 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Demas has forsaken me. Um, I don't, you know, you get that sense as he's talking about all these great guys, and then he says, oh yeah, Demas is here too. You kind of wonder if Demas wasn't already going off the deep end at that point. I don't know. But five years from now, Paul's going to write, five years from Colossians, he's going to write 2 Timothy 4 and write, Demas has forsaken me. In five years, Demas walks away somewhere in there. He's not with me anymore. Um, and my guess it was at that moment, because um, he would have forgot about Demas. Three years ago, Demas left me. He wouldn't write that down, but just recently. So it took Demas five years 
to kind of just gradually go downhill. Guys, it's a slippery slope. It's a slippery slope. But it isn't a fast slope necessarily. It's just something you can't gain traction on. And all of a sudden you just find yourself just slipping away from God, doing a little less, a little less, a little less, a little less. It gets more quiet, you get more sleepy, you get more complacent. And all of a sudden you find yourself completely away and you're like a Demas. It's sad. Um, but it's good to read these things. It's good to know these things because you've got to take heed. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the, uh, and the church that is in his house. You know, uh, this guy's got a church in his house. Tell him I said hi. What a great guy to open his home for this church. Now, uh, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is uh, read also in the church of Laodiceans and that you likewise read the epistle from, the, from Laodicea. I want you to get both of those. So trade and read them. And this is for all of us, guys. Verse 7. And say to uh, Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. Make sure you're doing what God's called you to do. Nobody is ever called as a Christian to be a spectator. It's not there. Everybody's called to serve in one way or another. He, doesn't, he, I'm, I'm, he does that on purpose. God, by the Holy Spirit knows exactly that in this situation, Archippus has a specific ministry, but for some reason, Paul doesn't write down a specific ministry, lest we think it only applied to that ministry. He keeps it very generic here, so that it can be read in Laodicea, so that it can be read in Maryville. What is your ministry? That's everybody's question. What is your ministry, and are you doing it? Be sure you're doing it. Um, fulfill that ministry. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily in, a, in this church or any other church necessarily, but there is a ministry you're called to. Um, it's easier under a church. There's a little bit of structure. There are some times. There's some dates. There's some things going on. I know this is what I do. But ministry is ministry everywhere, outside of the church especially. Are you doing it? Are you doing it? You're called to it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, Big letters. Remember my chains. Uh, grace be with you. Amen. In fact, in I think it's uh, the New Living Translation when you read it and they write it down. In the New Living Translation, they capitalize that last sentence. All, it's in all caps for Paul. Um, this salutation by my own hand. So they capped it all because he, he, would, he had the eye problem and he couldn't see. So it's like, this is from Paul. You know, he wrote it. So I like the New Living Translation. They all capped it. I thought that was kind of funny. And that's where we close tonight. Guys, Let's pray, but let's pray with vigilance tonight, okay? Um, let's really get our heads bowed and our eyes on the Lord and, um, and pray. Lord, um, we want to thank you. We want to spend most of our time in prayer thanking you for all that you've done for us. Um, some of the things that we can think of off the top of our head, we thank you for this group of people right here that we get to on a Wednesday night in freedom come and worship you in spirit and truth, to hear your word openly, um, and to have a quiet place, a comfortable place, an air-conditioned place, a dry place where we can sit and absorb everything you have for us. Lord, help us to never take that for granted, that we have a place that we can come to in a regular time, in a regular place, to hear your word, to read your word, to fellowship together, to break bread together at times, to pray together. We could do all of it. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for all the folks here, our brothers and sisters that we get to sit next to.
that are going to heaven with us and are in the ministry with us and are against the world like we are and ministering in this world like we are. We get to strengthen one another at these times. We thank you for that. God, for those that um, need to make you their Lord and Savior tonight, uh, they've never bowed the knee. They've never considered themselves a part of a ministry or called to a ministry or feel like, Lord, tonight they want to receive you as their Lord and Savior. They thank you for dying on the cross for, your sin, for their sins. They know their sins have separated them from you um, and that they needed to have a way for that to be made up, to be fixed. And we know that your son was sent to do that. He died on the cross for our sins. We thank you for that. And so, God, we want you to come into our hearts. We want to be born again. We don't want to be the same people we were when we came in. We want to be different. And so, God, we want to be born again. We want to be changed and transformed by the power of your word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to walk with you uh, with grace, seasoned with salt, Lord. Our words, Lord, I pray that that's what comes out of our mouth. Lord, our prayer tonight is to be vigilant in our prayer for specific people and groups that are just on our hearts. We can't seem to get them out of our minds, whether that's a family member or whether that's a nation or a state or a region or whoever. God, we lift them up to you right now. Whatever just came to our minds, Lord, we lift them up to you and we thank you for them and pray that you'd minister to them that they might be complete in you, that they might be able to stand before you, God. That's our heart. We want them to know you and to know you well, uh, to be born again. So God, we thank you for them and lift them up to you uh, tonight. Lord, uh, for our own walk with you, Lord, help it to be um, solid. No matter what people say about Christians in this world, I pray that when they look at us, it's a lie. That it doesn't fit, that it doesn't match, um, that it does match your word. And if that's offensive, let it be offensive. But we pray that our walk with you looks like your walk, Jesus, when you were here on earth. We pray that it would match that, um, that we would truly be your hands and feet, have the mind of Christ, your heart, um, and that we'd walk redeeming the time, very well aware of all those watching us, God. And so we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the kids. We don't ever take it for granted that we have all these children out there that are all night they've been learning about you through crafts, through your word being shared and taught in fun ways, but ways that they can understand, through games and through loving hearts, people that just love you and want these kids to know you, God. They've poured their, uh, these adults have poured their uh, hearts out into these kids, um, prepared, uh, made copies, gotten their classes ready, all so that these kids can know a little bit more about you. Lord, we never want to take that for granted. We thank you for that. We thank you for them. Would you bless them abundantly, God? Um, and for the kids, Lord, we pray that it would stick in their hearts and stick in their minds, that they would know you, um, that they would draw close to you. They'd know your love. They'd know your grace and mercy. They'd know your word, uh, that they'd be prayers too, um, that they would um, be vigilant in that. And um, I pray their walk with you would just get closer and closer. Lord, as we leave tonight, uh, we thank you for all that you've given us. And we thank you for the things that we don't have. Because if we were supposed to have them, we'd have them. Thank you for what we don't have. Um, think of Paul's prayer to be healed. We're thankful that Paul did need a physician. And that we had a great witness, an intelligent man, uh, who was able to follow him around and document and write down all that he ever did. and How the church started and what it looked like. We thank you for, for Luke. We thank you for the Lukes that are in our lives and thank you for maybe we are Lukes in some other people's lives. Thank you for that, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Have a good night, guys. If you need prayer before you go, come on up for prayer. I'd love to pray with you.